Hello, my name is Leslie Kane. I am the host of the Why Not Today podcast. This is a podcast to celebrate people who have been courageous and said, why not today? I started this podcast in honor of my father, Patrick Kane, who often said, why not today? I'm based in Reston, Virginia, a planned community right outside of Washington, D.C., and thanks for joining us today. So my guest today, and I always say I'm excited about my guests, but I am really excited about this guest, is Laura Carney, because I did not know her at all. Um, and I always talk about how we connected, how we met people. And I happened to be in Asheville, North Carolina, on Father's Day for a good friend's birthday party. And CBS This Morning came on. My friend had the TV on. I don't ever watch CBS This Morning. And it had a story about Laura and her book, which I've got right here. It's called My Father's List. And I'm going to let her talk all about it. But basically, her father died unexpectedly, very young. And... Um, she found his bucket list and started doing it. And it just spoke to me. I read it from cover to cover. So many coincidences and connections. Like the first chapter was swim across a river. And she swam across the French Broad River, which I was in Asheville reading the book. And just in our conversation <laughs> just now, we already came up with a gazillion other connections, but just so many different connections. And so I read the book this summer and then I reached out to her. I connected with you, Laura, on social media and was kind of stalking you, watching you. And just <laughs> one night out of a whim, I'm like, would you be a guest on my podcast? And you said, yes. I'm like, oh, yay. So I'm super excited to hear about you, your book, your courage. Um, I have, I mentioned, been reading the book again um, and kind of in different eyes because I lost a close friend this summer, very unexpectedly, kind of like your dad. And so reading it a different way and it just talks, I pulled it out last night, some of my highlights. And it talks a lot about bravery and courage and doing the things and living your life. And that's really what the Why Not Today podcast is about. And the theme is we got to live our life and say why not today and do the little things. And I think you did that a lot with the bucket list. So I'm really excited to have you on. So Laura, why don't you quickly introduce yourself, a little background of you um, and a, fa a fun fact about you. And then we'll talk about courage in the book. Oh, that is quite an introduction. <laughs> I don't know if I know how to follow that. Thank you so much. I love hearing those stories about somebody, you know, being somewhere on Father's Day and watching that uh, that interview and and just yeah. you know thinking about what just the connections that were happening all over the place, you know, all over the world. When and when Father's Day, my I lost my father ten years. It would be eleven years in March. And Father's Day is probably the hardest holiday. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Christmas, you've got all these other things going on, but Father's Day is all about your dad. You know, everybody's dad and they're celebrating. I purposely hope the day goes by quickly and stay off social media because I don't want to see all the pictures of everybody's dads. Oh, and doing yeah. it. It's a hard day. So having you on TV and talking about the book and things, it was just so made it a happy day. Oh, good. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I know that that's true for a lot of people. Um, and that even, you know, it's funny that um, that interview wasn't even originally supposed to air on Father's Day. It was supposed to be the week before and then Tina wow. Turner passed away. And so it got pushed. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh, why was this? Why wasn't this scheduled for Father's Day? <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's exactly. perfect. perfect. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just that that was the nature of my project, I think, too, that, um, you know, I, I set out to do this bucket list that had 54 unchecked items on it. My dad had written down 60 of them. And he wrote it when he was 29. I'm told soon after I was born, but I don't know quite when. I think he probably added new things throughout the year of 1978. And um, my mom knew about it, but nobody else knew about it. Uh, and I've since learned, uh, since my book came out, um, I was actually at my book launch. The man who interviewed me on CBS Sunday Morning, Jim Axelrod, he lives right here in my town in Montclair. So he was the person who helped me uh, who helped interview me in the bookstore for my book launch. And he asked me where the list was that whole time. And other than in a, in a box in my brother's house, I really didn't know. And my mom told me later that night, oh, didn't you know they found it on your father when he died? Oh, wow. So that made me think, oh my gosh, he probably carried this in his wallet. He probably had it with him All the time. every time I was with him you know, wow. for, for the 25 years I knew him. So, so uh, that's, right, so we're going too far forward. We should start with, sorry. Oh, yeah, that's okay. We're going to, this is going to be a fun interview, but let's talk about, <laughs> just tell, tell us who you are. Oh, sure. Well, I'm a journalist. And who you are. Yeah. I'm a and journalist. A fact, fun fact. 
I'm just outside New York. Um, I'm a copy editor. So that means most of my work when I'm not writing, um, most of my work involves, you know, fixing spelling, grammatical mistakes, punctuation, other, I, I fix other people's writing. <laughs> uh, a fun fact about me. Um, oh my gosh. Um, I'm double jointed. Okay. That's a cool which, fact. You know, all my fingers can, and I can do it twice. And it's really weird. Oh, wow. <laughs> my um youngest sister has down syndrome and her fingers go back like totally oh, bend back. Okay, so when yeah. she was a little kid we'd always bend them back i bet she loved that yeah <laughs> makes fun of the kid <laughs> so okay so before we talk about the book and all the things you did with the bucket list and how it came about what does courage mean to you laura uh i read this quote a few years ago from brene brown and she said oh, that courage is a heart word and I thought that was really fascinating because, of course, you know, I'm a big uh, logo file, big word lover, being a copy editor. And that really struck me that the root the root of courage is C-O-U-R, which means heart in Latin. And, uh, you know, to me, having courage means you're choosing to listen to what your heart wants you to do instead of your head. Love that. That's probably one of my favorite. I love Brene Brown as well. Follow yes, her and another coincidence connection is... I'm definitely a word girl. I've got them all over my house, even on my <laughs> So, all right. So let's get to the book. So your dad had a bucket list. So how'd you find it? And he passed away. Was he 54? Yeah, he was 54. It was because um, of a distracted driver. It was a teenager who was lost and uh, made a phone call at a red light. And then, uh, you know, Back then, nobody really knew yet, even though the research existed, it, it wasn't out anywhere yet. And I, I tried to cover this in the book um, as as broadly as I could, um, which, you know, I didn't know either. But, you know, it turns out there are certain things you, you can do while you're driving that are really just they, they refer to it as too much of a load. You know, it's too much of a cognitive load. And, you know, when phones became ubiquitous, it just became a thing most people started doing. Um, we didn't really know. We couldn't just plop right in the driver's seat and just continue having our conversation. <laughs> like I've been watching the Gilmore Girls for the first time, and I can't believe how many people like just hop into a car and are holding on to their phone. <laughs> and it looks yeah. so strange now because most people use Bluetooth or hands-free these days. But uh, the thing that really surprised me when I was in, um, I started being invited to these uh, seminars on safe driving and and becoming an activist in that around the time I was about to get married. And uh, and that that too was a coincidence. It just was because of an article about it that came across my desk one day at Good Housekeeping where I was working because I didn't know what distracted driving was. But the thing that really surprised me was that it's really not about where your hand is. It's just that like having a conversation with someone who isn't there, um, it just is too much for your brain. To, to, to also function like at full capacity. So it makes it so basically as you're driving, like let's say you're pulling up to a stop sign and something's sort of coming out, coming at you, like your response time is gonna be slower. And it's purely because you're having a conversation with someone right. who isn't there. Like it's just uh. that part of your brain can't, can't do both things at once. Um, wow. and, and a lot of people don't know that and it creates a lot of problems in, in people's yeah. lives because they don't know it. and you know, sometimes those problems are fatal. And I was meeting a lot of families who had mostly children who had died in these kinds of incidents. Um, and one of the things they talked about a lot when I would go to these seminars was how do you tell your story? And I would sit there feeling like a dork because like, that's what I do for a living. You know, right. like I already knew how to tell a story. And I would almost be like silencing myself because I didn't want to sound you know, like, oh, well, really, it should be like this, you know, like, they had their way of teaching it. And then it sort of hit me one day. Um, and this was, I think, pretty shortly before my wedding. It hit, and I was in Chicago at that at that seminar, it hit me that, oh, maybe there's a reason, you know, maybe this wasn't um, just random and meaningless that my dad died this way. You know, maybe there's a reason I was so you know, I was so dead set on becoming a journalist after he died. Like I had just moved to New York for a college internship and uh, I wouldn't give up on it. And maybe this this type of thing was supposed to happen to a family where someone is a journalist and someone's a writer mm -hmm. because I didn't know anybody else who was. 
Right. And I thought sometimes it's like, I think you encounter a problem in your life and it's like, if I, if not me, who, right. you know, and you recognize you're the only person who actually has a chance, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, I feel like I had a 5% chance of writing a book about this. Yeah. And it's interesting how, you know, we think we're going, our life is going this way and then it has the diversions and my dad is a perfect example of his life. And, and as when he passed away, my brother's eulogy was talking about, he always had a plan A, B, and C. Um, he, um, the logo, the, the podcast is an eye patch and a handlebar mustache. Cause that's, oh. that's, that was his logo. Cause he had an eye patch and a handlebar mustache and he got <laughs> um, into a major car accident. He grew up in um, LA and he got in a car accident the night of high, the graduation from high school. They were drinking too much and um, got in a major car accident and almost died. He was in the hospital, I think for six months or a long time, lost sight of his eye. And he was supposed to play football for USC. I'm pretty sure. And he couldn't because of the car accident. So this is a long time ago. Hey, he had a grandfather in Cleveland and his dad's like, why don't you go to Notre Dame? So they sent him on a train and he went by himself on a train to Notre Dame. And that's where he went to college. And my mom grew up in South Bend, which is where Notre Dame is. So, you know, just, you just never know where that path of life is going to take you or something so terrible turned out yeah. like here if it wasn't because of that. Yeah. If he had never gotten into that accident. Oh, yeah. That's, that's you know, and it's, you know, with losing fathers or losing, you know, your dad, the way you did my friend, the way it's like, okay, what can we do to honor their life? And I think you did a great job with that. And make something really bad and something sad, find something good out of it. Yeah. I didn't, I don't think I even really knew um, how badly I needed to do that. Uh, when we first discovered the list uh, that happened because my brother had just moved into his first house and I was kind of jealous of that, honestly, because <laughs> it's like, Oh, he's, he's my younger brother and he's growing up faster than me, you know? Um, Cause we were, we were still in an apartment and, but I thought, you know, I really need to be supportive and celebrate this. That's what my dad would do. And and I went up there and my husband and I were celebrating that he had moved into his first condo the, that he had bought. And because it was with his fiance, who was really good at sort of like, um, you know, I call her like the anti-hoarder because she's really good at knowing like what, what should stay and what should go. Right. And she had found she had found the list because my brother had in a box that whole time for 13 years and he hadn't wow. opened the box. And she's like, what is this? So he knew that he needed to show it to me so we could figure out what to do with it. And when I first saw it, you know, I, like I said, I had been gotten, I had been getting involved in activism. So I thought, oh, this is great. Like this is a person's life, their dreams. You know, this is, of course, my dad wanted to ride a horse fast or swim the width of a river. And he was so poetic and he would, he would have written things that way. So as endearing it was, as it was for us to remember that about him, I thought, oh, well, th this is the kind of story they keep trying to teach us that you're supposed to tell, like tell the person's story. And then that is how you change hearts, you know, because when you change hearts, that has an impact on how you change minds, I think. So uh -huh. that was my initial instinct that I knew I needed to at least try to do this because it would be activism. But it wasn't until I really got into the throes of pursuing this thing that it hit me what a big commitment this was um, how challenging a lot of the items were going to be and that this was something that really was just going to like, you know, turn me inside out, um, reach into my heart and, and heal all of the places that were still wounded from my dad's, my dad's death, from, from the trauma of it, you know, from how, um, shocking it was. And, and how, I, I didn't even, I didn't even how know many it. years ago did he die? Well, it was 20 now, but when we found it, it had been 13. But okay. that kind of trauma can stay with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think because it was such a formative age with me being 25 that it just sort of made me bitter about life. I mean, I was a New Yorker, so maybe that was part of it. <laughs> I don't know. But it was like this rude awakening of, oh, this is how life is. Okay. You know, because most people are in their 20s and if they move to a place like New York, it's so exciting and uh, you sort of feel like you're on top of the world, you know, even though um, you might be broke and have no real, no real like career uh, prospects. Wow. <laughs> and really, you're just having a pretty good time. But, you know, I was unlike a lot of my peers in that I wasn't there just to have a good time. I really felt like I needed to make something of myself. And 
I got really focused on that for a while. Luckily, I met my husband that same summer, three months before my dad died. He did get to meet him once, and then he died a week later. Wow. So um, that was lucky. And, you know, my husband was a very self-made man. Um, he had gone to art school for a year, and then he just sort of started traveling. He went, moved to Seattle. He, I think he lived in Richmond, Virginia at one point. He lived in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Wherever a friend was going, he was going to go <laughs> with that friend, wow. basically, and just take a chance. And he was very, um, you know, uh, self-educated. And he kind of taught me about what, what it means to be a lifelong student, you know, being someone who I find that people who don't have a traditional college education are like that a lot, you know, like they, they kind of learn to fashion their education themselves. So they're always, you know, they're always thirsting for knowledge. They're always finding things to learn about what they're doing. And he's, he's definitely that way. So that was great for me because it was helping me to think outside the box a little bit at a very young age. And I think probably if I hadn't met him when I did, you know, I, it's probably true that I wouldn't have said yes to a project like doing the list because it was so unusual. It was so non-traditional. And one of the things, you know, that you know that I talk about a lot in the book is how I was so um, almost stifled by this by these ideas i had about what my life was supposed to be you know like i was really resisting it when i was starting to do these list items yeah and we um yeah we think we're supposed to think we're in this box of life and then it throws us that curveball and we get to do the different things and and you know you just never know where it's going to turn out yeah i mean when you say why not today it's like I really did have to start thinking like that. Um, yeah. I set up a deadline for myself with the list. I thought, okay, well, the first item says he wanted to live until the year 2020. So that's the year he's gonna live until, or at least that's the year, that's when, how far his dreams will live. So I okay. thought that makes sense to me. Then I have, I have four years to get all of these items done. Of course, then that turned out to not happen either. <laughs> because like I said, with the list, it's like up is down and down is up. So yeah. what you think it's going to be is always not quite what it's going to be. And then COVID happened. So then I had to add an extra two years to the project. Um, right. But, you know, I feel like 54 items in six years is still pretty good. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so what was your favorite? Is there a favorite? Oh, I have so many favorites for so many reasons. Um, I like to say that, you know, there's one that I feel like is ongoing, um, which is make my husband feel happy, healthy, handsome, and young every day of his life, which of course my dad had written for my mom. Right. Um, you know, even just, just yesterday, I'm thinking to myself, huh, is he feeling all of those things right now? I don't know. <laughs> like, am, am, I, am I slacking? <laughs> and I th think that's a really interesting idea because you know, um, in my experience, people get married and they sort of start to forget um, how when they first met that person who they fell in love with, they just all they really cared about was, oh, I just love making this person happy. You know, right. like I love seeing them smile and and how you would just devote yourself selflessly to doing that. And then it's like you're with someone for a while and then it becomes a relationship and then it becomes just your life in a lot of ways and then they're your family and it's like oh well this is my other half but you know am i still am i still working on that am i still right. um trying to make them feel that way and i think that's how you really keep the love alive in something so that's that list item is a great gift for me um that's awesome you know and then what else uh kind of the opposite of that one, but I guess not really, because I think it shows the strength of my marriage that I was able to even do this, but is, is uh, visit Vienna, because I ended up doing that uh, by myself for two weeks. And, you know, we just couldn't afford for both of us to do it. And my husband right. was super jealous, but he, he also was very supportive. And it felt like he was there because I was calling him every day and every night, you know. Um, but that was just... I, I sometimes feel like the whole list, and, and I, I hope it, this comes across in the book too, the whole thing was leading to that, you know, the whole adventure, all of these different um, diverse items I'm doing, they're all preparing me for those two weeks. Um, because if, it, if I had tried to do it in year one, I couldn't have done it. You right. know, like I, I, I even now think when I was trying to check off own a $200 suit, which, you know, in my 
And my, uh, you know, harebrained schemes ended up becoming a triathlon suit because that's an easy $200 suit to, own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just learn how to be a triathlete, no problem. And, uh -huh. and now I feel like, well, maybe uh, all of that time that I spent out there in the cold, you know, cycling 20 miles at that one night or, you know, running down to the YMCA and then swimming um, uh, you know, for an hour and then running back home. Like that's really, you know, you have to do that several times a week if you're training for these uh, half Ironman races like I was. And I did it during the pandemic because I sort of had more time and I was trying to fill it. Uh, so now I feel like what I was actually doing when I was out there training for those races was getting really good at being by myself, wow. um, getting to a point where my brain became accustomed to it. And right. then that way, when I went to Vienna, it was just like, oh, this is not this is not a big deal. You know, like being alone is I think I referred to myself as my own best friend in the book. And that was something, you know, for someone like me who was diagnosed with depression at a young age and was taught, you know, like, don't be. I mean, no one came out and said this, but this was the impression I had, like, don't be alone too much because you can't trust your own thoughts and you'll get really lonely and and down like I really felt that way as a very young person so to now be someone at 44 well, I'm 45 now but I was 44 then you know who's who's choosing to be alone and and embraces it and loves it it's like that was a revelation for me yeah that's awesome yeah and we were talking to a friend about that this morning we were talking oh. about depression and addiction and the loneliness and how it's you know people that are depressed they go in and spend time alone and, you know, we need to, yeah, but not that. in a good way, <laughs> No, not in a good way. Exactly. No, true. Um, and so, yeah, the loneliness. And so I'm single and never been married and traveled for corporate America for years and did lots of things, lived by myself. And I remember the first time I was supposed to go to the beach with a friend and she backed out and I'm like, you know what? I can go by myself. Like I live by myself. I travel by myself for business. Why can't I go? And I had the best time, like I had ice cream for dinner and read a book on a gazebo and I had nobody else's agenda. So it is kind of a fun adventure to do things. Yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, if you can't enjoy your company, who else is going to enjoy it? You exactly. Know? And, and the yeah. other thing now I think that it did that it did for me once I got really good. I mean, I, I used to be a person who when I was a teenager, the only thing I ever did alone was go to the mall. I remember even doing that in, in Delaware and thinking, oh, God. I don't have any friends who can go to the mall with me today because, you know, I was very popular in high school. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, now I think because I, I pursue things in my life like these triathlons and travel and things like that alone sometimes, and I actually really enjoy it, it has become a defense against my depression, which is a lifelong condition. You know, I take medication for it. I see a therapist, but I, I, it's something I'm always going to have. And I think now if I get into, um, if something's triggered for me or if I'm getting into an episode of it, I, I come out of it a lot faster. And the reason for that is I've gotten really good at talking to myself in my head. You know, I've gotten good at, you know, saying like just stopping the thoughts and saying to myself, okay, you know, what's, what's, what's going on here, Laura? <laughs> you know, like, what are you really thinking? What's, let's, let's put this into words. What's really bothering you? And that's what that comes from. It comes from being in Vienna, walking down the street, and sometimes just saying something out loud that I was thinking if I saw something completely awe-inspiring and realizing, well, this is weird. This crazy lady's walking down the street and said something to herself. But then I thought, well, I'm speaking English, and most people here don't even speak that, so it's okay. <laughs> and half the time, people have earbuds in, and they're talking to somebody, but... Yeah, they, I think getting into the, the practice of talking to yourself, preferably in your inside head, not outside, mm -hmm. <laughs> is really healthy. It's really good because you're, you're the one who has to take care of you, you yep. know. Saying the good things to yourself, though. Yeah. So, so in writing the book and doing the bucket list, because you, you said you do suffer from depression, has it helped with that part of your life? Has it helped you be more creative? How has it changed you? Uh, it changed the way I looked at myself uh, almost completely. Um, and, you know, my, my mom hates this part because I have such an incredible mother, you know, and she did, she was a, a guidance counselor for God's sake. <laughs> you know, like she did such a great job at helping me to be emotionally intelligent and express myself and be my real self, you know. Um, but 
when you have depression, it just, it, uh, it distorts your thoughts. Um, it changes the way, and, and especially if you're being treated for it as a kid, I think, because I was seeing all these therapists at a very young age. And you're was, old enough that that was not an, I mean, it, luckily it's, it wasn't more, common, no. yeah. it's more accepted now, but then absolutely not. Yeah, it was not common. And, um, you know, I felt like I felt very othered um, because of it. I remember having to like quit certain activities in school, like basketball or AP English, um, marching band, because these doctors were telling me, you know, this is too much stress for you. And, and you really like, you're going to have a life where you can't do much. Like you can't stress yourself out too much. You know, you can't, yeah. like, you need to be aware of your limits here because you're not like other people. And you have a, I remember one time someone saying you have a disease. <laughs> You know, like just so, wow. so, so dramatic. And to tell a 23 year old that is just like, oh God, you know, like I'm, I'm doomed. And, um, you know, I can laugh about it now, but it really wasn't very funny for, for me at the time. And I was no. on a lot of different medications and we really were just, we we're trying to find the answer for why it was that I just couldn't get out of bed sometimes. And, um, you know, I, I had formed ideas about who I was just based on how I grew up. And, you know, I had a bit of a sheltered existence in the suburbs in Delaware, which, you know, a lot of suburban kids had. And I had a really lovely childhood. You know, it was really nice. Um, really, I got to keep my innocence, I think, in a lot of ways that some kids don't get to. And my mom and dad orchestrated that very, very carefully. So I, I know how fortunate I am. Um, but um, I think there was just something for me about being sort of an intellectual and then also becoming a woman that didn't pair very well. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's why the way I described it in the book was it was when I was reading Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique that my brain broke, basically, because <laughs> it was like, what? Wait, as women, like we got the vote and then we were sent back to our homes? Like, what is this? history you know like yeah. this doesn't make any sense to me and uh I, I i just couldn't i couldn't piece it together like what kind of life am i gonna live if if you know the greatest accomplishments i'll ever have are being married and having kids you know if that's really what american society sort of expects for me and it just i think something in the core of my being it just didn't match very well with what I was supposed to do. Right. Um, and, and I think that was what it was. At some point I really got into like an existential depression that took me many years to navigate. But you know, like you were saying, everything happens for a reason. And if I hadn't had that experience of, of navigating depression and, and, and seeing all these doctors and, you know, getting to a point where I actually had to go to a hospital after my college graduation, because I'd been put on way too many of those antidepressants, um, I would never have moved to New York. I would never have really taken the plunge with magazines. I wouldn't have met my husband who lived across the country. I met him online. Right. You wow. know, I wouldn't have been prepared for when my dad died suddenly and I had to make a choice. Do I go back home to Delaware or do I keep sticking this out? I don't think I would have had the courage to stick it out if I hadn't been in that hospital the year before. Because what that taught me was, well, you know, I think in general, people have this fear of they don't want to lose control, you know, Absolutely. like 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 they don't want to be the person who has just had a nervous breakdown and now they're being carted off to a hospital or something, you know, like that. Like it's a it's a real um, what's the right word for it? Reputation, pride. You know, it's like you don't want to be seen that way by other people. So there's a real effort, I think, that people make in their lives of just let's keep it all together, you know, <laughs> like, let's keep yeah. my emotions in check. And, and the thing is, like, that's not really being alive. No, like, if you're always trying to maintain something and hide something, what's the point? Are you even enjoying your life? And, and I got to have this incredible blessing, which <laughs> I feel like it would surprise my mom to hear me describe it this way, because it's still a, it's a painful thing for her that this happened. But right. I got to have this incredible blessing of being in that hospital in Johns Hopkins for a week and seeing, oh, OK, now I've done this thing that everybody's afraid will happen to them. So there's nothing left. There's nothing left for me to be afraid of. And like the world is my oyster now.
That's awesome. And yet it is those things that happen to us and how we react to them, you know, and you know, you could, you could have hidden from it and identity that could have been your identity. But when I did, I did hide it for 13 years. I mean, that's the thing, you know, part of why I wrote about my dad's secret life in the book is because uh, I realized how much I identified with that. Um, And here I was 35 years old or 38 years old, finding this bucket list, starting to embark on his dreams that he didn't get to and recognizing, oh my God, I've become him. Like here I've, (laughs) here I've made all these efforts to be, you know, responsible and steady and not be this like adventurous dreamer the way that he was, or at least like to limit it, you know, to, to have a creative life, but also feel kind of successful with it. I'd really made these efforts to do that. And, and I think sometimes when we resist becoming our parents, we still become them anyway. And I had become him in the fact that I had these secrets, you know, I had the hospital, I had even my dad's death by then had become like a secret to me because really I was at a point where anything that felt vulnerable to me or, or othering or different, I would just hide from people. Uh, Cause all I wanted was to be accepted and like celebrated for, you know, not my accomplishments, but seen as someone who mattered. I think most people feel that way. Oh, absolutely. But I, I, the weirdest part is now I'm living this life where people treat me like things I'm doing matter. And after being on CBS Sunday morning and having this book out and whatever else, and that stuff ha- started happening for me when I stopped caring <laughs> about it. You know, like I was too busy doing my thing. Like, I don't, I don't care what people think of me anymore. You, you're passionate about your so about what you're doing and you're living yeah. in alignment with your values. Somebody said that to me the other day. Oh yeah, that's really important. Um, and, and that that resonates with people. Uh, yeah. that there's an energy to it that I think that people give off when they're a person who's doing that. Yeah, and like you said, you've never looked for a job. It all came to you. And since, um, since exactly losing this attempt, yeah. Yeah, I've never looked for a job in my life. And, <laughs> you know, it all just kind of got handed to me. And, you know, it's who you knew, the connections, and just it's being yep. open to what's there. And so many people just have their life closed off. And I've talked about this last with the podcast. It's There's a author, Daniel Pink. I don't know if you're aware of oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. And he actually lives close to this. He's my he's my big um, scary person interview. Look, one day he he will be on this podcast. Oh, but, do it. Um, I've asked once, but he didn't respond. I'm going to keep asking. Um, but he wrote a book about regrets, right? About when I started this podcast, and he said we never regret the things that we do. We often regret the things. No, yeah, we never regret the things we do. And so, like, we got to do those things, and that's kind of the message here is step out of your comfort zone, do those things. Don't stay in that box. And I think that's where my dad's legacy is, is he was definitely a big thinker and crazy thinker and way ahead of his time thinker. Um, He had had a major stroke in 2000 and pretty much was comatose for months. Um, People's like, oh, he'll never walk. And he actually lived 13 years after he had the stroke before he passed away. Um, but they were bringing a Metro in from DC to Northern Virginia. And that was in the works for years and years. And my dad's like, there's going to be intellectual property going over the toll road and all this stuff happening. And he would be talking about this in the hospital. I'm like, oh, he's still not together. Well, (laughs) things are coming to fruition, you know, crazy things. He thought outside the box. He was, he, and he made you think he made, he asked questions. I had several friends say, that they had more conversations with my father than their their own father their entire life. And, you know, people would come to visit, you know, friends would come to go out or do something. And he would be like, hey, Lord, grab that bag of mulch and spread it or pick up those leaves. And they do it. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, but he just had that positive attitude and, you know, good things were coming. And I just I feel, that. yeah, there's so many connections between you and yeah, Your my dad, dad was that way. Yep. Yeah, just the positive attitude. And I think you mentioned earlier, just having your dad with you. And um, so I told you my dad had the logo. So um, we all got tattoos with his logo. Um, I love that. Um, right before he passed away, we got him. Um, <laughs> but my siblings have them, my nieces, some of my nieces and nephews. Um, but, you know, I just feel like if I have a hard thing or a question, he's right here and I can 
you know, you've got them in your book in the bucket list, which I just love the whole premise of that. So many cool things. Yeah. I mean, and the thing too about my dad is, uh, you know, he wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. Oh, you know, and, and, and it was important to me that I described every person who's in that book. It was important to me that I described them as a human being, even if they're like my mom and like, you know, the most saintly human being I know. You know, that, that is just not reality that every single interaction with someone is going to be like, oh, they're a saint every time. It's just that's just not life. Um, and I felt like if I was going to share all of my flaws or not flaws, but challenges that I was overcoming, um, I, it was important to me that I showed the reality of people in my life and my dad in particular, because for a long time, I think I let my fears about certain things about him, whether he was, you know, because he kind of went from job to job and my mom was the one who was really sort of providing for us financially, even though he would take us out twice a week, you know, I found out eventually she was going to be paying for college. And as a young person, I was resentful of that and I didn't understand it. And, um, you know, I think it was important that I wrote about those parts of his life too, which, uh, you know, I think troubled him a great deal. Um, I think he felt a lot of shame about it. And, and I think he probably felt like he didn't get to do everything that he thought he was going to do because he was such a talented person. Um, so I needed to come to terms with that, I think, because the only way I was going to get to a point in my life where I could let myself thrive and be brave enough to take things on that I care about, um, that I have a chance of being good at and have a chance of helping people because I'm good at it. The only way I could get there was if I could accept that I have these difficulties too, you know, that I have things specific to me or things I might have inherited from my parents and, you know, just get on with it. Um, let it, let it be. And I think sometimes it's difficult for people to be brave enough to say, why not today to actually live in the moment and do what they want to do because they've just sort of, uh, become um i guess the right word is encumbered by these things that become like a yeah. load they're carrying of look at the all of my and the should be yeah and... it's like it's like i think the focus can become more am i keeping up with the joneses and not am i just being me am i being the person i was built to be because i think even our um challenges that we have in life like these unique things that seem like they're only difficult for us even those are actually gifts because they're things that we're supposed to work through and then take that, you know, who was it? Joseph Campbell used to always say your wound is where your treasure lies. Yeah. So you're not supposed to avoid that pain. You're not supposed to just not ever look at it and not let anybody else see it. What you're actually supposed to do is just go into that cave and find it and spend some time with it and become friends with it. So that's really you know, ironically, that's what going after my dad's dreams forced me to do. I had to look at my own nightmares and yeah. and hold hands and say, with them. And say, why not today? A lot. Yeah, it. well, that's the other part, do right? Things. I think it, it becomes a practice. I think it absolutely if you're going to be a person who's, sorry, what'd you say? I said, it absolutely is a practice. Yeah. You got to keep yeah, doing it, it and, and keep doing those brave things. And, you know, I talk about here often it's some people and luckily this is not the way my i'm wired is getting up in the morning some people like you said it was hard to get out of bed yeah um, well depression will do that to you yeah and so <laughs> i can say gratefully i've not experienced that i'm usually bouncing out of bed but um but yeah it's all the things just having the courage to do and you know live out live your life that you want to i mean i left corporate america 24 years ago to pursue a side hustle and was able to walk away. And everybody's like, you're crazy. What are you going to do for insurance? And why are you doing this? And how can you, I'm like, you know, if it doesn't work, I'll get another job. And that was 24 years ago and I have not gotten another job yet. And, you know, it's being able to be true to who you are. And I think that was what I was modeled with my dad. He always owned his own business and it wasn't perfect. And it was ups and downs. And it seemed like everything was good. My mom's told me since that it wasn't always good. It seemed to be always around a birthday that they were short on cash. And how's it going to work? And it, you know, it always worked, always worked out. And it's something yeah. you and I talked about um, before we even came on is, you know, do the things and the money will follow and 
when you're true to yourself. Well, encourage is a faith journey, I think. Right? Like I, was, I was thinking about yesterday how funny it is to me that if you look at my book, um, the end papers, and this wasn't a, a decision I made, although I had the final call on it, of course, uh, the end papers are watermelons. And I was wondering was, about that. Yeah, it's kind of whimsical. Um, and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this looks like like a scrapbook or something, <laughs> you know, or like an so what's elementary What's the goal of, teacher. what's the story behind the, the watermelon? Well, the watermelon, it was a list item, grow a watermelon. And it's actually, it's really at the very heart of the book. It's chapter eight. Um, it's just about dead center in the story, which I sort of love that that happened that way. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. And she does this amazing thing or did this amazing thing where the way she wrote that book was very layered. So it's sort of like uh, there are five different narrators of Frankenstein, and it starts with the, the creature's experience, which is kind of dead center of the book. And then outside of that is Dr. Frankenstein's experience. And then outside of that is someone he meets on a boat, you know, and outside of that is the aunt who's receiving letters from the guy on the boat. You know, it's like layer upon layer of, of narration. And I always thought that was such a cool way to tell a story. Um, and I think it probably impacted the way this story is told because, you know, that watermelon seems like it should be one of the least significant items on the list, but it's actually the most important one, uh, even though it was the size of a golf ball, <laughs> you know, when mm -hmm. we grew it. And I think the picture is of me holding it in my hands, like in the, in the hands were just sort of forming the shape of a heart, um, which at one point the watermelon did become slightly heart shaped, which I thought was really cool. Um, but it was really important to me because um, I think it really represents that idea we were just talking about, which is that courage is a practice. Mm -hmm. And the things that are gonna require courage for people in their lives, it's gonna be different depending on the person. So while growing a watermelon might seem like nothing to someone who has a farm or is a gardener and they do things like that all the time, for someone like me living in the city who was rarely home and was, uh, you know, copy editing in an office until late at night and was maybe home on weekends. Like that was a big shift for me to have this little thing I had to take care of every day that my husband would water in the morning because he's a morning person and I would water at night. And watermelons require a lot of water. Like that's like more watering than you're ever oh, going to wow. give a plant. That's that's in, that. in the title, watermelon. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and uh, I remember thinking it seemed synchronistic to me that I was checking off this list item at the same time as beginning to write my book. Because the book to me felt like I was planting seeds in something and, and, and almost like, I mean, I don't have children myself, but I imagine this was sort of what that would feel like too. If you had a child and you were, you had just become pregnant and it's like, you have a seed that's growing and you have to wait. And, and I remember thinking, like, I wish I had a pot that was made out of glass because then I could see what was happening, <laughs> you know, and, and I could because I couldn't see it. And uh, I just had to believe I had to have faith. I had to wait. And, and, you know, that's what I meant when I said that courage is a faith journey, because if you're doing something new that you think that you could fail at, I mean, I really did think that that was going to be the one that was going to do me in because I just thought I had wow. a black thumb or something. And um, to have it actually work, it really was just, okay, well, you know, you just have to trust that life is going to do what it needs to do to help you. And, and, you know, and the Jimmy Carter sermon, I experienced that really helped with that, that thinking too, but I really had never thought that way before. I never had this concept that I'm not in the world alone, that there's something so much bigger than all of us that really is guiding all of our lives. And if we can just get aligned with it and be like, okay, I agree, I'm cooperating, let's go. It really helps you with that courage. Uh, I love that. And, you know, I do these interviews and I often think when I'm talking to people, it's like, okay, God, you put Laura in my path for a reason for the things you just said that I needed to hear. And Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. Like just trusting the process, the whole podcast and where it's going and what I want to do with it. It's just... Yeah, the seeds and growing them. And somebody yeah, said- those the are the day, scariest things in life, yeah. I think. Somebody said the other day, you know, talking about growing a watermelon, like that seems scary for you and you've never done it. <clears throat> now, I've never grown a watermelon, but I do have lots of plants and they grow like weeds and I, they don't die. But, you know, those things that 
seem really easy to us that people go, oh my gosh, how did you do that? I'm like, what do you mean? It's so simple. Um, and so those are the places of our genius. And those are the places we need to do, spend time. Yeah. The things that, you know, you writing and copywriting, that scares me a lot, but that's not going to be, <laughs> but you never know when their book, book might come from this, but, you know, stay in those places that just feed us and give us life and give us energy. And I think well, we I, could, sorry, oh, go ahead. No, no you go. go. I was going to say, I think we can talk forever, but. Yeah, all I was going to say is what I have discovered is that if there's a yearning that's inside of you, um, even if it's super scary, that yearning is there for a reason. Yeah. And, you know, this whole podcast and how this came about, um, I don't know if I shared this, but with you, but I want, I thought about doing a podcast. It was just kind of one of those, "Ah, maybe I should do a podcast. No idea. A friend of mine did one. I'd been interviewed on a couple no idea what I want to do. And I remember it like it's yesterday. I was at a friend's house and there's a social media site that had a story and I don't ever look at it. And it just popped up in my feed. And it was some man that lived locally and he had an eye patch on because he had some surgery done. And he said every morning he looked, got up and looked in the mirror and thought of his old friend, Pat Kane. And he talked about my dad and things he did. And he said, and we both always said, why not today? And that just stuck to me. And it, And it's actually, it's interesting. It was September 13th. My dad died in 13. You had a 13 reference just that was how many years ago your dad passed away? When I found the list, it had been 13 years. 13 years. Okay. So it was like all these 13s, but yeah. Yeah. That was a big number for him too. Yeah. And it was just one of those things that I'm just like, okay, there's something here. And so I talked to my friend that I talked about the podcast and told her that story. She goes, well, that's not, that's the name of your podcast and just do it. Yeah. And, and I've just done it. And I just feel like there's something bigger and better. And your book just so spoke to me and well, I feel like yeah. you're my rock star interview. Like my favorite <laughs> you are. I'm like, the fact that you said, yes, I've told everybody. I was so excited. Um, oh, that's so, wow. That, that's yeah. so nice. I don't know what to do with so that. I feel like I have a new best friend too. <laughs> Well, we've, oh, thank we've you. started doing sponsors for the podcast and I'm going to, we're going to end in a second, but I do want to share our okay. sponsor. Um, so as this is going to launch right at the end of 2023, and as we start January, it's going to be the why not today be intentional month. And so I do a one word and I know Laura and I, you talked about this too, that you do your one word. And the last couple episodes is centered around that. But our sponsor this week is Pino's Palette. It says, why not unleash your creativity and have a little fun at Pino's Palette in Herndon, Virginia? Paint and sip while socializing with loved ones and friends and discover your inner artist. No artist ability required. Entertaining artists will guide you step-by-step from blank canvas to a masterpiece. Why not paint and sip today? So thank you, Pino's Palette, for being our sponsor. So as we wrap up, Miss Laura, how would you encourage somebody else to say why not today? Uh, it's funny. I, I, I was just thinking about that. What we talked about my little known fact about me that I was double jointed. <laughs> and it, it just occurred to me, like, maybe that is the secret, um, is being flexible. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I think, um, because I was diagnosed with depression and ADD at a really young age, one of the things I learned was how important it was to be flexible, uh, knowing that, you know, I'm, I might be late to something sometimes, or, you know, I might uh, take an extra hour to finish something that I thought was going to take, you know, this amount of time, or, you know, I might, I don't know, get caught up in a conversation for a really long time because I'm hyper-focusing. Like, that's just how I function and that's okay. And when you're that way, you learn to go with it, just to flow with whatever's happening in your environment. And I think now that that is a big key to success for people uh, when they're going after something that scares them. Because the truth is taking that first step and saying, why not today? That's just the beginning. I mean, you're really way ahead of everybody else if you can take that first step. But if you actually want to succeed at something that you're afraid of that you're doing, you're going to have to remember that the universe is going to send you curveballs. And usually that's not a bad thing. Like that's it's actually a detour and it's where you're supposed to be headed. But if you try to stay in this fixed mindset of no, 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 it's not supposed to be like this, then you're not really helping yourself. So it's really just having this very malleable 
um, mindset and a willingness to cooperate with like the forces that be that are trying to guide you. And, you know, I think you just covered that pretty well when you said you see all these signs yeah. and things pointing you in a certain direction. And I think people who really succeed at something are able to cooperate in that way. Yeah. And so true. And I think we've talked about it circled around that subject many times with my dad. You know, his life went this way when it was supposed to go this way. Yeah, he's and, he's guiding you. And time. he, oh yeah. And he was um, on several, he flew, traveled a lot for business and he was on, missed several flights that had major accidents or something happened. Like he escaped death so many times. Um, and just, you know, it when it was his time and it was time. And he actually, the day he passed away was his birthday. And he'd gone to the dentist he talked to several people. He was totally fine. He had lung cancer, but we don't know what killed him. But that night, my mom was getting him ready for bed and his arm was sore. So she gave him some Advil, turned around, took the water down, and he was gone. Like, I with, mean, I've been like, thinking about Mark Twain, this whole conversation, because that's like Mark Twain. He, he was born and died with Haley's Comet. Oh, and really? He, he predicted it. He's like, yeah, I, I was born with Haley's Comet and I'll die when Haley's Comet comes back. And that is exactly what happened. Wow. And he was the person who said that quote that you said earlier. It wasn't just Daniel Pink. It was Mark Twain. Okay. Wow. That, uh, you know, do what, you know, don't regret anything, essentially. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but do mm. the thing that you want to do. Um, yeah. And he's one of my big role models. He was one of my dads. And I mean, talk about someone who accomplished things that were really scary in his I life. I read some of his stuff. Well, and I know in your book, um, before we close, I did in your, um, the very first, it says, strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many others' lives. When he isn't around, he learns an awful, hole. he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? And it's from It's a Wonderful Life. And I have on and I wear a starfish necklace a lot because of the story of the starfish. I don't know if you're aware of that. No, what's that story? But a, um, and it just talks about how many lives you can touch. You just never know who that one person is. But this guy was walking down the beach and picking up starfish and throwing them in the ocean. And this man came up and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm saving the starfish. He goes, there are thousands out here. How can you make a difference? And he picked one up and he threw it in the ocean and goes, I made a difference with that one. And I just feel like I live, try to live my life that way that, you know, you don't know what one person you're going to influence by just smiling at them or just saying their name or doing that one thing and being aware of who God's in your surrounding. And I really think with this podcast, and as you said, you know, my dad's here for me, like your dad is, and that just paying attention to watching people on social media, like I've interviewed several people that I was watching. I'm like, okay, there's a story behind what she's posting. And just with you, like, I remember like it was yesterday sitting on my couch. And on Instagram, just scrolling and seeing you. And I'm just like, I'm going to ask. The worst thing she can say is no, which is what my dad always taught me is always ask because you never know. And I'm so blessed and grateful that you said yes. Oh, um, so I feel that way so, too. So fun. So so I always try to circle back to my dad and I say, you know, what's the connection to my dad? And people are like, I didn't know your dad. And oh my gosh, so many things that connect. First of all, the connection with your father's list and my father, and they sound like, they're probably up in heaven, hanging out and having oh, a totally. A your crazy dad made time. you watch my interview for sure. Yep, exactly. So my dad was a sailor. He swam. Um, he what else did I say? Teach a story. He always taught with stories. Um, he definitely thought outside the box. Um, Pope Francis, who I know you were able to, to um, communicate with, which um, I'm Catholic, and my dad. Um, Right after he died is when Pope Francis was, I don't want to say put in office, but, and he was born, I think the same year my dad was, and my dad's middle name is Francis. So my mom's oh, like, wow. that is such a sign. Um, you know, things you said about your husband, just so much like my dad too. Adventurous, oh, yeah. take a chance. Um, you know, he, he just, he traveled, he did the things. And I think I do too. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to do the things because you just never know. We are not promised tomorrow and we need to live our life and be happy with it. So yeah, what a blessing well, to have I you mean, on. I mean, I, I would say the biggest shift from doing this project and writing this book for me and, and, and what I'm still carrying through my life every day now is that life is a gift. 
Um, I used to be really afraid of life in some ways because of how my dad died. And also what I had been told at a very young age about my own limitations and things that were stressors for me. So it was like, you know, just try to stay in control, just try, try to not do too much and, and try to avoid getting killed by someone on their phone, you know, like which I was seeing around me all the time. So it was a very fearful way to be living. Um, and, and really, my focus was try to accomplish things so people think you were important. That's really what I wanted to do because I thought my dad died and he hadn't finished anything. But doing this list forced me to really like live day to day instead of in that sense of, okay, how will I be remembered 50 years from now? So when you start choosing to live day to day because you're so engrossed in what you're doing, everything starts to change because you're actually, instead of planning for how you're gonna be alive someday, when you actually get to a point where you're happy, you're choosing to be alive right now um, because you're just gonna take whatever you have within you and use it for what you have to do. And that's what I had to start doing if I was gonna accomplish this mission. And now it's become like just habit for me where every day I get to have a chance to feel alive and I get to do something that matters. And that I think is just the greatest gift of it. Cause it's like, I'm always thinking about what would my dad feel about getting to be alive? Like, how would he feel about that today? Right. As opposed to like, I don't ever think anymore about, oh, how sad that he died so young or how sad that this happened to my family. Instead, I look at it as how lucky I was to have him for the amount yeah. of time I did. And, and you, that's you the greatest people, tribute, I think. Yeah. And you hear people who've lost children at very young and they're like, you know what? I was grateful I had him that period. And that was supposed to be the time. Yeah. And I always said, cause he had this major stroke and he had several health issues after his stroke. And he was like, I'm not done in this world. I've got grandchildren I need to teach. God's got bigger plans for me. And as I said, he lived his life until the minute he died. And even he was diagnosed in October with cancer. And we're like, do you really want to go through chemo? He's like, heck yeah. Like whatever I can do, even though his quality of life wasn't great, he was still going to do the things to be here. And people would ask, how are you? Because I'm on this side of the grass today. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a little different with kids because, I mean, I'm not a parent myself, so I can't imagine the like how difficult that is yeah. when a child dies. And it's so unnatural seeming, you know, and it's like there because you don't feel like there's ever supposed to go before you do. So, you know, I try to never speak to that because it's like I just I can't fathom it. No. But um, I do know that uh, the families that I've met who have had a child die because of a distracted driver are just some of the most special people. I've ever known. And um, really, it's been a blessing for me to get to learn about their kids, because I, I think I think of my life sometimes as a tribute to those kids. You know, the the daughter, they didn't get to walk down the aisle. You know, the the kid who was in journalism school and never got to actually work for a newspaper. It's like my life is a tribute to them, too. Yeah, just we just never know. We need to live yeah. our life and live it the best we can and and how can just like you're doing and i'm doing be able to have somebody's life that was cut short or somebody not even cut i mean my dad yeah it was short but he was 77 i think but still you know to be able to give the tribute and to make make a difference because of them and i love one of the things you have as a nonprofit, um and yep, that's something that's i'm very passionate about is you know, being able to give back and make a difference. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my dad helped me write this book and there are some passages in that book where I would write it and I would feel like, Oh, I didn't know I could, I could write that. <laughs> like something had come through me and I really think it was him because he was a writer too. So half of the um, royalties are going to go to um, a foundation in his name. And then awesome. I will donate to every person who helped me with the list uh it, you know to their personal causes because they helped me with mine um and yeah i think um you know i i think that uh it's it's important to do that it's important to live for something that's bigger than you and and to feel like you know that's that those are the happiest people i think the ones who are doing something that's that's way bigger than themselves yeah and that's kind of where i feel like i am so so grateful for you and we will share how to find you in the show notes i'm assuming you can find the book anywhere books are sold um, yeah. it's my father's list. Um, I got mine on Amazon and the next day and, um, 
super excited to have you on here. It was so much fun to get to know you. And I'm going to connect you with a couple people and we're and hopefully get you down here sometime to do a book reading or something around. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Plan something. Um, so I'll share all Laura's contact information, the show notes. Um, is there a favorite way for people to get in touch with you? Oh, um, you can find me. I'm, I'm my father's list on Instagram and Facebook pretty much everywhere. Uh, okay. or, you know, my, my website's good by com. You can get the book there. You can also, uh, email me through there. So okay, perfect. And then, um, you can always find the podcast at why not today podcast.com. And we do have why not today swag like cups and shirts. And as you start <laughs> a new year, like encourage yourself daily to remind yourself to say, why not today? So thanks again, Laura, and let's start 2024 strong as you listen to this episode. Yeah. Do you have your word? Did you pick your word? I've got a few. It hasn't resonated. Do you have yours yet? Yeah. 2024 is going to be a scary year, I think, because my word is truth. Ooh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave on that note. So thanks again, Laura. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was really cool. It was. They think, and remember, say, why not today? Why not today?